We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Wednesday night, Thursday morning. I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Coming at you a little later than usual on schedule. We uh, have Charlie Burris today of A to Z Sports, host of the Big Orange podcast. I had Charlie on in the preseason to preview Tennessee, or I should say in the summer, to kind of give a preseason preview of Tennessee as a part of our opponent preview series. Had him back on today. Um, really enjoyed the conversation. He's kind of like me. Uh, he's in the uh, corporate world now, does this part-time, hosts a podcast. Good dude. I really enjoyed the conversation and uh, kind of got a better idea of the uh, Vols Joe, uh, the Joe Milton Hinden hooker situation where they kind of went from Milton and then graduated to gravitated more towards hooker over the last couple of weeks. And that's really been a game changer. He's played really, really well, 13 touchdowns, a pick 69.7 completion percentage, uh, granted coming against some somewhat suspect defenses, but the kid's been pretty good. So we got into that kind of how big of a game this is for Tennessee in the first year of Josh Heupel, a couple offenses that are mirror images of each other and uh, a lot of different stuff. So about an hour conversation here, no open today. I'd planned to do it, but kind of ran short on time. We had to reschedule this interview. Uh, just based off kind of a conflicting schedule. So that's why we're a little off uh, off topic or not off topic, off schedule in terms of the normal Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'll probably do an open on Friday. We'll do Greg's picks, working on a guest for that. So stay tuned for that. We'll still have the Friday show, but I appreciate you guys working with me a little bit off schedule. But before we get to that, I want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. So the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox matrix interval and advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the industry. You need to check these guys out. You guys know the Joe Skybox went five and two in the NFL with a 12 unit NASCAR weekend. They're crushing the NFL, been hitting some NASCAR winners as well. They're going to have a picks package that fits your price range. So check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. You can do month long passes week-long, you can do a daily pass. I'd recommend doing the full season all sports package. It's going to pay for itself and then some. But, you know, if you're looking for something more sports-specific, you can try it for a month, a year. You can go month-long all sports. They're going to have something that's going to fit your price range, and I promise you it's going to pay off in the end. You don't want to really be paying the man on Sunday night. You know, we all got the scaries. Text you Sunday night, Monday morning. You want to be texting the man asking where your cash is coming from and when you're squaring up on that. 
after you take him for all he's worth. Skybox is the most consistent way to do that. Plus, trust me, don't go on your own info. Don't go on blind. This is a proven method that is withstand the, it's proven to withstand the test of time. I can't talk today and will consistently lead you to profit. And I promise you, going off your own dumb brain is not going to work. Check them out. Skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Y'all know the drill. Go see Greg. Oxford is so lucky to have LB's, the best butcher shop in the world. If you're a subscriber to the Repeat Rights newsletter, that's rippyrights.substack.com. You get an email or newsletter email for me three to five times a week and discounted meats. I'll let you decide which one's better. Currently, the deal is if you are a subscriber and just type in your email, rippyrights.substack.com, you get a 16-ounce prime strip for 15 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's a hell of a way to kickstart your weekend. Throw it out on the grill, get the football games going, makes for one hell of a Saturday night. But you need to go check out Greg. LB's University Avenue, across from Kroger. It's don't go to Kroger, don't go to Walmart. Greg wants to make sure you have a good grilling experience, and LB's is absolutely the superior place to do it. Lane Train Special, Keith Carter Special, Bacon Wrap Fillets, fresh seafood, all kinds of delicious sausages. I'm telling you, you're going to walk in there and be amazed. Check him out. You don't want to go anywhere else. Oxford is so lucky to have LB's. So give him a call. Check him out. LB's University Avenue, across from Kroger. Anyway, here is Charlie Burris. All right, we now welcome on Charlie Burris, a recurring guest of the show. Now we talked to Charlie for the uh, preview show back in the summer. He was kind enough to join us again to talk a little bit Ole Miss, Tennessee. Uh, Charlie, former radio guy, current host of A to Z Sports Big Orange podcast, does some game day stuff for him as well. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to catch up again. It's we were talking right before we were recording. It's like I I wasn't positive what I would thought of this game, like coming into the season. Um, you know, you look down the schedule and I thought, well, Miss should probably be better than Tennessee, but that's a late October game against a first year head coach on the road. Like that could have potential to get weird, particularly if it's like a night game. And then now that we're here, it's kind of exactly what I thought it would be, although Tennessee's playing a lot better football than they did at the beginning of the year. So like it went to the point where like after about two weeks, I was kind of like, okay, Ole Miss should probably not have a ton of trouble there. Those that one in Auburn were the two ones I'd circled as their potential kind of trouble road games. And then now it after they look the way they looked the last couple of weeks, I'm like, no, Ole Miss is definitely going to have its hands full and be fortunate to walk out with a win. What has been the difference with Tennessee in the last three-ish weeks? Man, that's a great question because I, I definitely thought if we were in this position with Tennessee where where we felt good going into the old Miss game, I guess, uh, I would have thought that it would have been you squeak by Missouri, you squeak by South Carolina, and you feel like you played nearly equal football with both of those teams, and you looked uh, head and shoulders above both of them. That's been the shocking thing for sure. What has actually set them apart? I mean, I, I think strangely – and I can't believe that I'm saying this. I think it has been the coaching <laughs> because, you know, you just, just in the past with Tennessee, just like Jeremy Pruitt would win games and you would just look and go, that was the ugliest thing I've ever seen. It was a nightmare, even though we, we left with a win. And with high ball, I watched this, the offense in particular, and I just go, this is actual competency 
this guy, we, we don't have the horses to do some of the stuff that he's doing. And he is getting guys open constantly. He has taken a quarterback and put him into a system that is extremely kind to quarterbacks and, and made the guy who, who I, you know, I, I just saw early in spring practice and I just went, I don't know if he's got, got, got it. And that guy has just turned into, at this point, he has the highest QB rating in the SEC. He is incredibly efficient. Uh, it's like 70% completion percentage and just some, he's been able to put up some gaudy stats that I never thought would even be able, uh, would even be possible for anyone on this football team uh, right now. And so I, as crazy as that is, I think the, the coaching, do I know that Josh Hype will be great long-term? No, but I know at so far his offensive scheme is really good and his defense has actually looked better then I, I thought they would. We, we were actually comparing them on, on my own podcast this week, like Ole Miss. I think you, you played a little stiffer competition than us having uh, already played Alabama and some games like that. Um, but like their, their run defense is like somewhere in the hundreds in terms of ranking nationally in Tennessee. I didn't even realize Tennessee has like the 30th ranked run defense in America. And I was like, oh, look at that. Like they've actually been kind of competent, even though, you know, take that with a grain of salt. South Carolina sucks. Missouri sucks. But um, still, they've just done some things specifically with coaching and kind of getting this ragtag group of guys to play better than I thought they could. And and that's that's been the bulk of it. It's been interesting, much more interesting than I thought it was probably going to be. Which is all you really want for a first-year head coach is to be interesting and exciting, preferably both. You know, sometimes you'll take one or the other. And it's interesting you say that because – we were talking in the preseason. So I do a Sunday show, kind of like our post-game reaction show with the guy who used to work on at the Ole Miss recruiting office, worked a couple years under Matt Luke and did one year under Kiffin and then kind of got out of the industry. But he watches a lot of football. And, like, I, he's a lot more well-versed than maybe I thought he would be in terms of, like, coaching staffs and, like, who he thinks is good or not. And he was a huge Josh Heupel guy from the beginning of the year, even though it didn't look great. He was actually more of a Joe Milton guy but then after about a week and a half, he's like, okay, actually, I'm kind of wrong on this one. This hooker kid is a lot better than I thought. But point being, he was by stock from the beginning with Josh Heupel. He's like, I'm telling you, this guy is going to be good long term. And you can kind of see the seeds of it. Because if you look at these two offenses, like in terms of the hiring the coaches, they picked off the same tree, right? Like Levy was the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach for two years when Heupel was at UCF. Like this is very much the same offense. In a lot of ways, Tennessee, at least through like six games, has looked a lot more faster pace version. But when we were like kind of bringing that back to when we last talked on the podcast in the preseason, we, you know, there, there was a lot of uncertainty and it honestly had to do with the mass exodus of players and all the kind of shit for the lack of a better phrase going on off the field that do you think Tennessee underestimated a little bit, just how much of a game changer it is to have a guy that this creative offensively, because there's certain, there's a few guys in this sport that are just much better offensive minds than the rest. And I think these two teams actually have three of kind of that group of, I'd say 10 or 15. And I think that just kind of matters. Like that'll take you up a level. Cause if you can score a lot of points in this modern day and age of football, you can compete and cover up a lot of, you know, warts and stuff around you. Do you think that was underestimated a little bit, kind of just given the dysfunction heading into the season? Absolutely do. I, I know for me personally, I I just looked at it and I went, I, I think this system in the SEC is just going to take better players to be successful when, in fact, 
it really provides a nice sort of pedestal for a bad set of players. And that I was exactly flipped on that. I, I, um, and to, to your point there, I think that's exactly right. Like it's making a pretty much paper thin roster for Tennessee look really nice at points because of like you, you can score in absolute bunches in a short amount of time on the field. And uh, you know, as the, the defense can give up in any given game, 20 at this point, 20 to 30 points, although you would hope it's closer to 20 um, and you can still win at that point. Um, so you can kind of have a bin, don't break off uh, bin, don't break defense as long as that offense is, is still chugging. And, and yeah, it does. It seems to cover up some, some rough spots. I, I will say in the last two weeks, and maybe this is a testament to how not good Missouri and South Carolina are, or it's a testament to Eibel and what he's doing with this squad. But like, I haven't even seen what they're covering up. I think depth, depth is the number one issue. That's a, across the board. And, and that just, you had 30 transfers during the offseason is what it is. But besides that, I mean, I, I think you only had two, two penalties against Missouri, maybe two penalties against South Carolina and things like that. Like they're playing kind of flawless football and just going out and making it look easy. And I've, as as crazy as it is, I, I'm as, as cynical as you can get with this stuff. I think you saw it during the, the, the preseason when we talked, if you remember what whatever I said back then. Um, and even I, I'm kind of at a lack of like finding things to hit Hypel on because he's just doing a great job. That's, that's it. And I can't, I honestly, I almost can't believe that that's the case because we've just watched so much coaching incompetence for the last 15 years. And now it's really flipped where I go, if you get this guy good players, like let's get good players in the door right now. Cause I think this could actually work. I think this, at least for right now, it is a bit of, I do feel like, I, I don't know that this is a sustainable over a long amount of time. I think Hypo eventually, if he, if he does find good players and gets good results in the shorter term, I think for the long term, he probably will have to adapt to a certain extent. I mean, it's, Kind of in the way like like Saban getting Kiffin changed Saban's team, changed him for the future. I think at a certain point, like college football just shifts, it evolves, and and things will change. And I think this this high flying, super scoring offense like Kiffin, like Heifel, both run. It's a bit of a snapshot into current football, and I could see it change in the future where you shift back to more defensive heavy i think georgia is showing that that can be successful right now uh and maybe that's the next movement who knows but uh i and i hope that i will becomes adaptable like that but for right now this is exactly what tennessee needed and it's it's refreshing to actually say that because i didn't think i would be yeah and it's interesting because the kind of not so like well-kept secret is the fact that they rolled through these two games they're going to a bowl i mean like with yep. South Alabama and Vanderbilt at the end of the schedule, I mean, with respect to Vanderbilt, they're trying, but it's not – they're trying. Like, they play hard, but that's about all you could say. Like, that that's a huge – that's huge for year one, which kind of gives them a little leeway coming down the stretch. Like, I know the schedule gets a little bit tougher after Ole Miss, but when you have a, an offense that can score points, I think this is something Ole Miss realized a little bit last year. It's like, okay, yeah, go into Tuscaloosa and then play Georgia at home, probably a little tougher – but, like, I would even throw Alabama closer to the category that I would kind of put Kentucky in to kind of get to my point. It's like 
probably wouldn't count that as a win, but you know, Kentucky's not really explosive offensively. And if you can go in there with an offense that scores points, if you get 14 points, you know, within the first 20 minutes of the game, you're going to have a shot. So like even some of that offensive confidence covers up just I mean, game management and defensive stuff at times, like it can really heal a lot of stuff to stop just on the offensive side of the football. And I guess there's no greater reason for that than what they've discovered at quarterback with Hendon Hooker kind of paint me the picture of how this quarterback situation evolved from game one to five. What was the reason for the change? They went to the change, I believe going into the Florida game. What, uh, what was kind of the first two games like what they see to make the change and how has that evolved since? I, I don't, know exactly what Heifel was thinking in those first couple of games I the theory has been that he just thought the highest ceiling was with Milton because the dude has an absolute cannon for an arm and Hooker does not I, that is I mean for sure I, I would go if Milton could get his arm under control it's there for the kid he just can't um, and that's just tough but I think that's what they were thinking in those first couple of games with Milton. Then Milton goes down with injury. They bring in Hooker and they go, okay, this kid's put a little more touch on the ball. This is nice to see. Uh, but he was still overthrowing guys. And then they gave him a little more time and suddenly he's not even overthrowing guys anymore. I mean, he, he has in subsequent weeks uh, thrown some really nice deep passes, has not been frequently overthrowing guys, has been putting touch on the ball, making nice plays. And then on top of that, he has nearly the same running ability as Joe Milton. Joe Milton's a little bit more of a tank. I think he's probably a little harder to bring down than Hinton Hooker, but Hinton Hooker, man, he fights for it when he runs. And I, I've just been impressed because the kid, he, and I think this is true of all Tennessee fans, he has touches of Josh Dobbs that, because Josh Dobbs was never an excellent passer. He, like, that was never his strong suit, but he could get it in the area. And then he had, you know, Jawan Jennings and, and Marquez Callaway to kind of go up and make these plays. And I think that you have a similar situation here with Hooker. I would say his wide receiver set is a little lower caliber, um, but he's still got some weapons out there. Bayless Jones Jr. is a great wide receiver who will probably get a shot at the pro level. Uh, and, and the rest of the guys, we'll see, but they can still make some plays every now and again. And so they're just taking advantage of that setup. And then, you also did find it, and I think this this helps a lot. You found a killer running back in Tyon Evans, transfer kid from I think Kansas, not not Kansas University, but a community college in Kansas, and he has looked like a dog, uh, and and that has helped a, a lot because if you can make teams really respect the run, you're going to be able to free up that passing game even more, and like that's helped a lot. It's been an evolution, I think, and I've. It's another thing that I've been impressed with Hypel on where he, he looked, he said, look, I made a mistake. Milton's not the guy. We're going to go with this guy. He's clearly better. And, and they've just been honing it in and honing it in and honing it in. And I, I think you're just seeing it continue to come together. And the main thing with this team right now, as far as that offensive setup goes, is all health. I mean, Hooker obviously has to stay healthy, but that offensive line to protect them and to open up the running game is so massive. And they've been battling so many injuries, battling injuries to the point where in the Florida game, um, the, the center was hurt. His backup, I believe was hurt or maybe is just so not good that they were just like, you got to play. You just, you have to play. You have to go back out there. Cooper Mays went out and just toughed through. It's like a broken, whatever. 
And, uh, and that's the type of position that they are in, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, that, the way that he just transitioned quietly into Milton, all right, Milton's got whatever this injury is, we're going to go with Hooker. And then they kind of acted like for a week, even though Hooker was clearly better, they acted like for a week, like, oh, Milton, he still is this and that, baby, we're still evaluating. And then finally, this last week, they were like, look, guys, it's Sin and Hooker, you know, we, we all get it. He's, it's so clear that he's the best guy for this offense. So I've, this is another thing where I, I like how I will handle that. Even, even if I wish, I think, I think if he plays in the Pittsburgh game early on, Tennessee's five and one right now. Um, and then, you know, what a go shut up, but you, you found the guy now and, and you're in the, the best part of the season to have your best players out there. So good enough. I was watching a little bit of the Missouri and South Carolina game. Uh, like going back, I watched a decent bit of Missouri the first time as the game was live. Not as much last week, just kind of due to some scheduling stuff. But like, what do you think the ultimate difference was when it really boiled down to something specific? Because I kind of had a theory was there's like four or five throws throughout the course of a game that Hooker makes. And you mentioned him not having the biggest arm, but the, it's more of the precision and the accuracy. There was one in the red zone against South Carolina. It was like, like, shit, that wasn't a very big window. And there's been like three or four of those per game where it's right where it exactly had to be. And I know that's kind of a cliche, but do you think that that was maybe part of the tipping point? Because I just – I was in, more impressed than I thought I'd be by about four to five throws a game to where it's just kind of really you know, plus-level accuracy that half the guys are more in this league. Like, they just really can't make those throws. Yeah, Heibel's high, offense – is set up to be as kind to a quarterback as you can get, I think. Because on on long throws, he's not even looking for accuracy necessarily. You're really just looking for a jump ball at at worst. Just don't don't throw an interception. Throw a jump ball. Then we can get maybe the our receiver makes a play. Maybe you get a defensive pass interference. Um, and then a, a whole set of stuff is just screenplays, which those it can be tough. Um, to, to throw a screen pass, but for the most part, it's short yardage right there, you know, and then it's, I, I think you are exactly right. It is the fact that Milton is hitting these, these middle middling. I don't know what the right word is there. These kind of middling throws in the middle of the field, fitting it into tighter windows that, that probably made that coaching staff go, Oh, okay. This is the difference right here. Uh, Cause he can hit some of those passes where with Milton, you know, you, you have a guy like streaking to the end zone wide open because they schemed him open and Milton would just, you know, air mail it and, and hooker can hit it. And that's, that's the game right there. You know, it's seven points versus zero points. And that's everything uh, as far as, as high strategy goes. And so, um, yeah, I, 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 I would say in no way did I expect hooker to be that guy either, because just in preseason, Specifically in the spring game, he just looked – he looked like he was the third guy to me. Um, Harrison Bailey, who's a more traditional pocket passer, um, just looked like it was easily him and Milton. That, well, we didn't see Milton in the spring game, but it looked like easily he was the better guy uh, over Hooker. And it's just been, you know, maybe just – he's just a gamer. He just – when you put him in the game, that's when he shines the brightest. I, I don't know. Uh, but it, it has been really, really impressive. Yeah, because when you look at their two numbers, and I know it's not perfect with the way Milton like had the injury and kind of them being rotated in and out, but he was at like, I think, 5.7 yards for completion, 
Well, hookers at nine and a half. And when you can get up towards that nine and 10 yard range, that kind of constitutes pushing the ball down the field. And it was funny. I was watching, rewatching the old Miss game on Sunday on the ESPN broadcast. And for as much, you know, meaningless stats that TV can have, like sometimes TV will just throw up a graphic where it's like, you know, Tennessee seven and oh, when they score more points than the other team, it's like, thank you. I appreciate that. Put that in red. <laughs> but they had one for Corral that was like, so I think it was, I'm going to make sure I have this right. So he is the only quarterback in the country to average 9.5 yards or more per attempt and not have a turnover. And I was like, wow, that's actually really, really impressive. Well, talk about a stat. I mean, it, I guess, tells the whole story, but Hooker's in that category and only has one. And, like, that's kind of pushing rarefied air. I mean, he's won whatever that pick was. I don't know what it was. You know, one decision or tip ball or whatever the hell the case may be from being in that category. And that's really pushing – like kind of elite level air, um, you know, competition aside that, that not a lot of guys can do that clearly kind of by that number alone. So it's gotten, it's, it's pretty damn good. And I'm just curious if, like, what element does he bring to the run game? Cause it seemed like he and Milton were somewhat similar. And if there's, you know, every, of the classic kind of I'm shitting on TV guys today, but the announcers always love to say, well, you know, Lane Kiffin, like they actually want to run the ball. This is a running offense. It's like, that's not like, that's not some nuanced take. Anyone who watches this offense knows that they really need to run the ball. Tennessee's kind of like that, you know, plus another level. They really, really want to run the football. I don't, I think they've played one less game or excuse me. Now it's all Miss. They run the ball more attempt wise than any other team in the sec. What does hooker bring to the running game along with Evans that kind of make that special because that's really what makes the offense go. Cause these are both the same offense. That's kind of the gas that fuels the car. Yeah. Does he bring another element than, than Milton did, or is it kind of about the same? In the run game, it's similar. Like I said, Milton's probably, he's bigger. He's, he's probably a little tougher to bring down, but I would say hooker is faster, a little shiftier. So it's, you know, it's kind of six of one half dozen of the other maybe. And I, I also think there's certainly an element of, when you're, you know, you're uh, running these run pass options and some stuff like that, when to pull the ball and, and run, when when to choose to throw. Like, um, they they had really, on a play against South Carolina, if you haven't watched the game, like, they lulled South Carolina to sleep with the run and dink and dunk passes, and then they hit them over the top. And, and it was just masterful. I mean, it was in one of the opening drives. I don't know if it was the first couple, maybe. And, uh, and it was just so clear that they had – they had been hitting South Carolina, hitting South Carolina, and then all of a sudden they had a wide open over the middle and scored a touchdown. And, I mean, it, it is really just this nice symphony that Josh Heupel kind of puts together uh, of, of, you know, balancing all of that. And I, I mean, obviously coming off of Jeremy Pruitt and that nightmare, it, it was, it's a sight for sore eyes. But, yeah, I think Hooker has been really smart a lot of the time uh, on, on pulling the football and knowing when to run and making dynamic plays when he does run, he does, the kid could stand to learn to throw the ball away. Uh, I can say that he's always looking to make a play no matter what. Sometimes you just need to throw the ball away. But if I, if that's the only critique that I have, things are going well. I, I would say that for sure, but it, it has been a great, uh, turn of events that they found Tyon Evans because Jabari, Jabari Small, the, the number two running back, he's good. He's a shifty, shifty guy, but he's very small. He's undersized back. And, and Tyon Evans effectively is too, um, but he just he just runs harder. Just something, something about it that makes him harder to bring down. And that revelation has just been 
a godsend also because it just I mean that that's the one two punch you need do you, do you have an effective quarterback and effective running back that's that just sucks for a defense uh, I mean when when they have to respect the run and respect the pass and that you know how, how do you cover that and especially <laughs> no, no fits the old miss but just a, a defense that already is kind of on its heels just allowed 700 yards of offense out of Arkansas and stuff. I, I'm, I just get the feeling I was probably looking at that going, Oh boy, we're, we're going to eat this week, boys. Like, uh, and, and so that's, well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I could talk theoretically about how it's going to go on, on Saturday like that, but that's just, it's been really exciting so far. I put it that way. And it's the running game part of it is important to the tempo of it. Kind of watching this offense for, sure. for two years now, that's really what kind of makes it go from a tempo standpoint when you can, pop one off for nine yards and then kind of take a shot on second and one before they can substitute. And that's, you know, when Ole Miss did, sputtered offensively for about the first two and a half quarters against Alabama, that's kind of the story of the game. Alabama put six in the box and they had better athletes than Ole Miss. It wasn't really a fair fight up front. Offensive line couldn't block. And you kind of saw what, you know, when Ole Miss couldn't run the football, even with the Heisman kind of contender at quarterback, there's only so much they could do. And, you know, some of that is them not being able to pass it because they couldn't block like Alabama's defensive line neither, but like the running game is such a crucial aspect of, I say both of these offenses, they really are when you continue to like look at it incredibly similar. Um, like I mentioned at the top, kind of you know, picking off the same tree and they're certainly exciting to watch as you kind of, as you kind of look back at these five games, like Missouri, South Carolina, they are what they are, but if like, I guess if Tennessee had won both of those games, 25, 21 or 24, 21 or whatever, you probably wouldn't be feeling as kind of good about it as going into this game where they blew the doors off of both of them and looked like an elite level offense doing it. And I think kind of, if you're talking about the style points arguments that matters, but kind of going to the one game where they really struggled this year, Florida. And I watched a decent bit of this game because I was trying to, uh, to kill time at a wedding reception that I was not necessarily <laughs> to be at. And I, uh, I was looking at it. It seemed like Heifel called a really good game in the first half and Tennessee was playing really well. And that was kind of the epitome of them not necessarily having the depth and the personnel yet. Cause it seemed like they just ran out of gas in the second half because that kind of what you guys saw as well. That was exactly it. You just don't have the dudes. You injuries were piling up. And uh, also Hooker went down with an injury. And I do think to a certain extent, they were maybe trying to protect him. He may be in a tighter game. They may have tried to still play him in that game because he came back pretty fresh the next week. Um, but uh, it was the exact epitome of the wall that Tennessee is going to hit in any given tough game this season that in order to win a game, you're not supposed to win. They're going to have to power through. And I don't know. How, how that will go. We haven't seen it happen yet. And I'm, I'm interested to see when it does. I hope it does. I would say this game and the Kentucky game are the two that I'm looking at the Kentucky game more so. Cause I just feel like with Ole Miss, if, if it comes down to just a total track meet, Ole Miss just has more warm bodies to put out there. I, that's, that's the situation that, that you're facing where Kentucky I think if you can play decent defense and throw 28 points up on the board, which I think is absolutely possible, even though Kentucky's defense is very good, um, you know, put up 28 points. I don't know if Kentucky's got 28 points in them against you, you know? And so that, that seems more feasible than in this game 
where you're just at a dead sprint the whole time. And then just eventually you get winded in the fourth quarter and, and almost runs by you. Uh, Cause that, that Florida game, it was just so clear in that second half. They, they played so hard in that first half. They left it all out there. They kind of melted down in the final he couple of minutes of the first too. half. Yeah. I mean, he, you had the lead, you had the lead yeah. in the swap in Heupel's first year in the first half of that game. And then Florida takes the lead back right at the end of the half. Um, and that, that was disheartening too. You kind of lost some of the momentum. You just come out in that second half and specifically they had, uh, I forget if it was a fourth, I think it was, they were going for it on fourth down and, uh, Hooker hits this kid in the hands with an amazing pass. And the kid was, the kid was probably going to score a touchdown. It was Javante Payton. I believe I'm thinking correctly. Um, hit him right in the hands and he was thinking about scoring a touchdown. He dropped the pass. He just, he started turning before he made the play. (laughs) And, uh, and so he dropped the pass and that was just the dagger where you just went, Oh, you had to, you had to have that to stay in this game. And you just, it, the balloon deflated right there and you just kind of know, okay, yeah, this, uh, it's not going to happen this week. They just, they can just outrun you. And, and if you can avoid that play, uh, I, I mean, I mean, I think against Ole Miss, as much credit as we're giving Tennessee right now, I think you have to play a nearly flawless game. You cannot have drop passes like that. You cannot have boneheaded plays. You cannot do – you have to – I mean, honestly, I think we're also going to have to have bounces go our way with things like turnovers and, and different things like that. I mean, I, I think you're talking two, three turnovers minimum to, to win this game. You had two against South Carolina, and it's just so huge. Um, and uh, it's going to be – it's going to be a lot – to, to ask in this one, uh, unfortunately. I think that it's really going to come down to the depth because, you know, Ole Miss didn't like to talk about that kind of a contrast to two weeks. Ole Miss really just didn't have, like, they weren't good enough against the run to stop something like Alabama. Alabama just kind of like manhandled up front. But Arkansas was like weird because it was a different story because with seven minutes and 27 seconds to go in the third quarter, Arkansas had 14 points. And like, I imagine if you told Lane Kiffin before the year, Hey, every single one of your sec opponents is going to have 14 points halfway through the third quarter. He'd be like, hell yes. On me up for that. But they just kind of ran out of gas defensively too. They don't have the depth on that side of the ball either. And how they ended up being on the field for, I, this was staggering to me, 95 plays, which like you can't put a good defense in that position, but oh, Miss sure is held it out the horses. And you could tell that last 22 minutes of the game, I mean, the hell they gave up 37 points. They were just, gas and so I think that's what's that's going to be fascinating about what this game comes down to because you know there's always when like games are sometimes forecasted to be a track meet sometimes they fall under that but particularly when you get to the second half I don't see how this one's not kind of up and down the field and whichever team can get a stop last kind of outlast the other one speaking of that on Tennessee's defensive side of the ball Tim Banks what did you expect coming into the year they had seemed like some pieces even despite what left on that side of the ball coming into the year I haven't really gotten a good gauge of the defense. They seem more than competent, but was this better or worse than you thought they'd performed so far through six games? Honestly, it's been way better, way better than I thought that they, they were going to perform. Cause I, I looked at that set of players and I went in order for you to be half competent, you're going to have to get performances from guys that we just haven't seen. I mean, it, it was a set of players that were largely un unknown i mean we you know we saw them come in in recruiting classes but it was just like don't know why you stuck around glad you did but i have no idea how you're gonna play 
Uh, and, and it was a lot of players like that on that side of the football and they have really stepped it up. And I think they have good leadership on that side. And that really helps to get this kid, Alante Taylor, who he just, he's, he's not the greatest defensive back in America, but he just brings a fire that, that gets the team going. And that's so valuable. I mean, he, even if he's not making every single play, every single time, just the fact that he brings energy like that has, has been huge. Um, and you know, there's just some elements like that, that I think have helped them play probably above their pay grade. They have massive depth issues. We just lost a, a starting linebacker for the season, had season ending surgery, Juwan Mitchell. Um, so you're thin across the board, but you've gotten some performances out, out of a few guys that have been kind of, I, I guess eye popping is sort of the, the right word, just performances you didn't think you were going to get maybe. And, and all credit to Tim Banks. Cause I looked, they had the hardest time finding that defensive coordinator and by no fault of their own, this is career suicide. Sure. Traditionally. Sure. I, you know, to, to come here, you're going to just burn yourself for the rest of your career probably. And he came in and I went, Oh, good luck. Good luck. <laughs> happy, happy game. Not sure how you did, but, uh, and, and he has come in and, and he was a total unknown too. He, um, supposedly he had never been, uh, the primary play caller at anywhere that he had been. Um, and, and he's just come in and I, I think he's, uh, Pruitt was running some really convoluted stuff because he thought for whatever reason he was going to be Alabama. And he just, you know, he was just trying to impose that on a set of players that couldn't handle it. I think he, he's come in and kind of like the offense has just simplified things and just gone, you know, if, if you play really, really hard, we're, we're going to make some plays and, and we're going to, you know, we're going to make it through. It's probably, I think to, to a certain extent, they're probably, especially with the way that Hypo runs that offense, I think there does have to be an element of like, just hang on for dear life. <laughs> we're going to make it through because you're, I mean, they're on the field. I, I don't believe Tennessee is one time of possession in any game so far this season and they don't necessarily want to um, with the way that, that hypo calls his games. And so, you know, you're going to be on the field a ton, but just like, like even in, in this last game, I think this is a, a great example. Uh, you had this kid, Brandon Turnage, who was coming in. Um, he was just filling, filling in for He's a fan high school kid out of Oxford, Mississippi. They lost out on him to Alabama. This is Alabama transfer. Uh, I'd have to go back and look, uh, but I, that does sound right. Um, That's going to make a lot of people swerve off the road list, this because I promise you, Ole Miss could use a branded turnage. Oh. Let's see, Trent. Yeah, transferred to Tennessee. I oh yeah, Oxford, Mississippi, hometown. Yeah. That's funny. I hadn't put that together. <laughs> that was one of the uh, that was one of the nails in the Matt Luke recruiting coffin. I would say. Oof. Okay, so I I didn't uh, I didn't recall that, but the kid came in and played with fire. And it's been some performances exactly like that. And I'm sorry to Ole Miss. It's <laughs> sorry, guys. Um, but it, it ha I seriously did not say that to try to like. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I know. I was just, that's funny. because uh, It was on our board the other day. That was like, could, could we, like, is Brandon Turnage playing at Tennessee? Why did he cut, like, why did Ole Miss accept him when he fell back out of Alabama? It's like, beats me, man. Well, he, and I, I think uh, it's probably, he just fell, fell down that chart for seniority. I think he's still younger um to to whatever extent but i mean yeah dude dude came in i think god he had like 14 tackles or something in that game it was crazy uh and and so you've just gotten performances like that 
that have just been surprising. You go, wow, like this, I didn't expect it, but it's, it's great that it's happening. And, and I, I don't know how, how Tim Banks is doing it because preseason, I just looked and I was like, that is just a rough set of players. I'm just, I don't know how this is going to go. And, and they, they've held up well enough. Like, are they some world beer? Absolutely not. Um, but you know, with that, with that offense, as I, I mentioned it earlier, as long as you can hold a team to between 20 and 30 points, you're probably going to win most games against, you know, a team that's not Alabama, a team that's not, you know, some powerhouse Georgia. And yeah, good luck scoring more than yeah, seven points not. against Georgia. Good Lord. Uh, but it's, it has, it's just another part of this whole thing that's been impressive this year. It's crazy. How do you kind of look at this game from the standpoint of like, if Tennessee wins, what does that look like? Cause like to me, I think it's kind of, they probably mirror each other pretty well. Ole Miss has done really well not turning the football over this year. Matt Cross had pretty good decision-making. They don't really put the ball on the ground. But, like, a death sentence to, for Ole Miss coming into this game is to turn it over, you know, twice or so, and particularly one early to kind of get Tennessee maybe up 10 nothing or 14 nothing earlier in the game where you're chasing the game early. Whereas, like, I guess the way Ole Miss wins the game is, you know, kind of – Seems Tennessee's been pretty susceptible on the offensive line to pass rush, and Ole Miss has not been able to generate that consistently. And the call out of this, people are upset about the three-two-six and not being creative enough out of it. If there was ever a week for Ole Miss to be a little bit more reckless and aggressive blitzing, I think it would be this one. So I think that's kind of the way they slow them down defensively. And so it's kind of a clean game, and Ole Miss gets you about two stops a half, and you kind of get out of there with the win. But you know, turnovers can negate that pretty quickly. If Tennessee kind of is able to win this game, what does that look like in your mind? To me, it's, it starts early in this one. I, I, I don't know. Do Ole Miss fans like grasp what this game truly means to Tennessee? Like, does that. I was going to ask that. That's fans? probably a better way to ask that. What is like temperature of the fan base? This game, is it like a, like, I know there's a Kiffin element, which I'm probably a terrible podcaster getting 35 minutes of this thing without asking, but like, what, just give me the, the kind of temperature of what this game means for Tennessee. That's probably the best way to start. So this, I, I would say with the way that Tennessee has been playing and the surprise that it has been for this fan base and the, the very warm feelings that they have after just drilling South Carolina and Missouri, um, they very, very badly want to get the Kiffin thing gone. Right. I, I, I just know I do personally, and I think a lot of fan base shares that sentiment because there, there has always been this sort of, we hate you, but if you came back, we'd love you sort of thing with Lane Kiffin and, and like, oh, his antics are cute. That's nice. But, you know, hey, if, if you want to, if you wanted to come back to Knoxville, <laughs> that'd be okay. That'd be all right. You know, and there's always just been that whole thing. And I think if you win this game, you shut that door. Finally, you go, we don't need this guy. He's, we beat him. We beat the guy. We beat the demon that has been haunting us all this time. And there's that element. And then the buzz right now, you got, they're doing the checker kneeling thing where, you know, everybody wears orange, white, orange, white, orange, white in the crowd. They're doing that. It's a sellout, uh, which is huge. Actually, I checked the, the ticket website last night. It's gone. Um, and so you're going to have 102,000 people bearing down on you. And, and I mean, there's just this buzz around this game that never happened under Jeremy Pruitt, uh, that only happened two or three times with Butch Jones. And I, 
I don't think that it's going to be like the 2016 season where Tennessee actually looked at times like a top 10 football team. It's not like that. It's, it's, uh, it's this excitement for maybe finally getting this monkey off of our back. This it's the Lane Kiffin monkey <laughs> that just has been weighing on us all this time. You could exercise that demon and they're just, I think they're ready to explode where I would say this game is the ramp up. If you win this game, it's going to be an absolute fever pitch is how I would kind of characterize all that going on right now. To me, that could be an absolute X factor because I feel like if Tennessee comes in, I I think Ole Ole Miss, this is as rough of a setup as Ole Miss could get coming into this game. It is a night game in Neyland stadium. That is the first sellout in forever. And it's going to be huge. And there's all this buzz and Tennessee fans want, want Lane Kiffin's blood. And you know, that there's that element coming in. You just played a really tough track meet against Arkansas, probably wore yourself down where Tennessee smashed South Carolina. And by the end of that game was resting players. And so just that there's that coming in. And I, I just think if Tennessee turns it on in that first quarter, gets up 14-0, you know, two, two quick touchdowns in that, and Ole Miss offense falls flat quickly, the crowd is going to be ravenous. And, you know, I, I, Corral's a great quarterback. He'll, I'm sure the kid can play through it. But that, you know, it's, it's the exact scenario where a quarterback could get totally rattled and, and fall apart. And so I think for Tennessee to win this game, I already said flawless. You got to get turnovers. Um, you know, just never don't shoot yourself in the foot at all. And if you you do that and you get up early, you got to jump on them early with this because if it becomes a track meet late in the game, they're probably going to catch up to you. So I I would say if Tennessee is up by fourteen to twenty one at the half, a win is likely. I would say where you can go, okay, we can give up a couple of touchdowns even because of lack of depth where we just, we can't meet near the end, but we're still, we're ahead by enough to outlast that. I think is how it almost has to go because you're just not, I don't think that Tennessee has the dudes to late in a tough game, grind through it and, and make the, the game winning plays and, and all that stuff. That's just so much to ask of, of guys who, who don't have backups, <laughs> you know, like it, I, I just think you got to do it early. You got to jump on them early, use the crowd to your advantage, rattle corral, you know, really bear down on them like that. And if, and if you can get up by a couple of touchdowns, I maybe Tennessee can outlast them, but it just ultimately to me, I mean, my, my prediction is that Ole Miss wins. I already said it on my own podcast. My prediction is that Ole Miss wins. And I, I hate that, but that's the situation that you're in right now. You just, you don't have to do this. You got to give time to get some recruiting classes in the door. I think it's a huge measuring stick for Ole Miss as well. Like if the defense is actually improved, like you can give them a little bit of a pass, I guess, per se against Alabama. Cause again, from an athlete's talent standpoint, it really wasn't a fair fight. Again, last week, the, as much as people didn't like it because of the lack of, I think, creativity and wrinkles to that three, two, six, it was actually kind of working for two and a half quarters they just kind of got worn down and then they weren't as good, particularly in the red zone later in the game. So I'm kind of in the same boat. Like if Ole Miss can just kind of get into the game and if they can kind of get, you know, 17, 14, something like that around midway to the second quarter, I think they'll be fine. I just think Ole Miss will get in trouble if they, like you mentioned, are chasing the game. But 
when it comes down though, this is a tie game in the fourth quarter or something like that. I really think like from a defensive perspective, it's a little bit of a wash. Maybe Tennessee has a little bit of an advantage. Depends on you know how many plays they've been on the field and all that. But like Ole Miss defensively hasn't been in that moment. Now, if Ole Miss has the ball last, obviously I'd feel pretty good about their chances. Like Corral is kind of unflappable in that sense, and I think that's the biggest difference between him this year and a year ago, where he just kind of has the this unshakable nature about him. I think that's kind of reflected in his decision making. I mean, hell, he talked a lot about. Uh, kind of unprompted at times, just loving it, like hoping it's as loud as possible. And Brian Denny kind of feeding off that. Some of that can just kind of be BS. I don't think in his case it is, but I think it's going to be a huge measuring stick for Ole Miss because if you're a good football team with a good enough defense to actually kind of contend for a New Year's Six Bowl in a weirdly muddled down SEC beyond two teams, like this is the game you go in and get enough stops to win. So I'm fascinated to see it. Kind of lastly, before I let you get out of here, if Tennessee, let's just play both sides of it. Tennessee were to win this game, I mean, that has to change how you look at the Kentucky game. I think Kentucky's roster is good, but I think their lack of explosiveness offensively could actually play into Tennessee's hands a bit. If they're able to win this game, does this, I mean, does this look like a, can you get to eight and four? I mean, because it's, it, it's weird about it because every other game seems winnable besides two. I mean, I think there's going to be two pretty def- definite losses left on the schedule. Like, how would you view the rest of the year should Tennessee win? It would be honestly, like, unbelievable. Because to say that you have a shot at eight wins in this first season, the way that stuff went down the last few years is unconscionable. Like, that that would be the coaching job of all coaching jobs by Josh Heifel. I would just I, – I am so hesitant at this point to buy into a coach because it's just, you know, you get burned enough times, you just, you're done. And so many Tennessee fans have hit that wall so hard. I've, I've never seen more apathy in this fan base in this off season where people just went, I don't even care anymore. Like I, I've given all these idiots, all these chances and they just keep smacking me in the face. And so they just went, I, I got to see it. And they're seeing it. And, Beating Lane Kiffin, getting that monkey off your back. Yeah, the next couple of weeks you you gotta you gotta go to Alabama the next week, unfortunately. So you would get a huge win and then <laughs> go get your butt kicked, probably. Try to get out but, of that healthy. Yes, exactly. Which would be the goal. You got a bye week going into Kentucky. Go beat Kentucky and eight eight wins. Are you kidding me? What a a miracle, a miracle worker. And and you also look back and you go, if we would have just played the quarterback back in a Pittsburgh game, it'd be nine. In the first year, and Tennessee hasn't had a coach win nine regular season games since 2004, five? Oh, I, I honestly would have guessed Bush. No, 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 no. It, it would have been two, 2007. I forget. I forget. 2007, we went to the SEC championship game. I forgot. So 2007. But still, like none of these, this whole crap set of coaches that we've run through, none of them ever did that. Butch Jones won eight twice, and then he won a bowl game, so he won nine. Um but never won nine regular season games. And the fact that we're looking at that and going, that's actually a, a possibility. Like what? I, it would it'd be unbelievable. It would actually be unbelievable. I don't think that's going to happen. Not to just rain on my fantasies here, uh, <laughs> but I, I don't think that's going to happen. As I already said, I, I think they, they do end up losing this game on Saturday, unfortunately, but yeah, Kentucky winnable. And if you got out of the season with seven wins, man, man, 
that would just be so huge to be able to show recruits like look at where this train is headed it, it would be in, incredible and i mean to, to me i would say it's kind of been actually a question among tennessee fans uh this this week which game would you rather win this or kentucky because losing to kentucky is just the grossest thing right, right. Yeah. Tennessee, tennessee has lost to kentucky in my lifetime i'm 30 tennessee has lost to kentucky three times in my entire life Wow, and and one of them was last year, so it was two times before <laughs> before last year, um, and and so I, you know, just losing to them is makes me ill, uh, but I would I would much rather beat Ole Miss because it just has so much more meaning. You've beaten Kentucky a million times. Get this Lane Kiffin thing gone so we can stop talking about that because there's just this stupid unending affection for this guy who's never coming back and, and all this stuff because they're, I mean, I, so I do a weekly show uh, on game days with Jonathan Crompton, who was Lane Kiffin's quarterback at Tennessee. Yeah. And, and he has genuine affection for Lane, Lane Kiffin. When, when he talks about Lane, he, his opinion, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but his opinion when I've asked him about it is that it was going to be great if Kiffin stayed um and just that i i think i agree but i also go at this point we gotta just stop thinking about it <laughs> like just everything's in the past just leave it leave it behind and this would finally do that and so i i go this this one would be so much more meaningful to me damn that kentucky game but if if i have to choose between the two it's gotta be this one for me yeah, it's funny. The last thing like, I have is you mentioned you mentioned kind of and I'm, I'm sure you're not alone in the sentiment being hesitant to buy into a coach again. And I talked to you about this after SEC media days where like so much negativity hypo at media days. And look, I as pointless as that event can be from a public facing standpoint, there is some stuff you can draw from it. Like the the positivity and kind of the put togetherness like to me, you can come to sometimes tell. And I know it's easy in year one when things are going well. And I guess, you know, if they two years from now, should they have a down year, however this turns out, you know, that's probably when you'll find out more about him, but he seems to be more put together and more of, I always say big boy, but really is like an adult. Whereas like Butch Jones never seemed comfortable in his own skin. Pruitt was weird before things even started. Like his, his demeanor when talking to media and things was just utterly bizarre at times. And then, you know, Kiffin still has this whole deal that he does public facing where he tries to say as little as possible as Belichickian. But I think that was a little more of who he was back when, back then, I think he's changed a bit since. And you mentioned the, the Compton thing. I wonder what Kiffin thinks about that. Had he stayed and gone back to USC where he would be. That's kind of a fascinating like inflection point in his career. But anyway, like, can you kind of still sense though, that you kind of have someone that knows what they're doing? Cause I know Butch Jones recruited one had success, but at times you would hear him talk about stuff and it's like, are we sure this guy's not an idiot? And then you kind of knew the beginning from Pruitt. Like, it just feels like you kind of have an adult in charge now. And I feel like you can see that early on. Yeah. 100%. It's, that's a great point because that, that has been the exact talking points that I've had on my, on my own show where you do look at Hypo and you go, this guy actually looks like he's been there before. Right. That's where, a good way to Where put Butch it. Jones, yeah, but Butch Jones came in with wide eyes and was like, uh, I don't know if this is what I, and he, he was always justifying uh, everything that he ever did. And it, it was always with him. You know, if, if you have to tell me, it's probably not true. And because he would go out and just be like, we're, 
you know, the, the joke with him is that he, he thought he had an infallible offense and, you know, nobody, nobody else thought that except Butch, like right. Butch would tell you, he'd tell you about it. Um, and, and he was always happy to do that. And he was happy to talk down to you about it too. And be like, well, you don't, you don't understand what we're doing here. And Heupel just comes out and, and I think he just levels with you and, and talks in a real way still has, he's, he has a lot of coach speak, but I also look at that coach speak and I go like, that's what a coach does. I mean, you brought up Belichick there. Belichick says two words in any given press conference. It's all press conferences don't matter that much at the end of the day. But when you get out there on the football field, Belichick's totally unflappable. Dude's a machine. And, and I look at Heifel. He is not up. He is not down. You know, he's not, he's not urban Meyer with the Jags right now looking like, he just wants to be on Mars rather than on the sideline with his football team. You know, just some of that stuff where you look at Heifel and you go like, this guy is actually like he, maybe he knows how to lead an organization because Tennessee hasn't had a guy like that. Even I, I think early Fulmer, because I don't think that near the end Fulmer, Fulmer lost it. I mean, he even, you know, he was flailing around near the end. Um, and, and so Tennessee hasn't seen a guy that genuinely like comes in with a, an air of competence in, I mean, even, you know, no offense to Kiffin, but his. It didn't last long was, enough either way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was, a, it was a little bit of a clown show. He got, you know, there was a car wreck and all this stuff that's you know you can go back and read the message boards on that one that's the whole thing um and and all this this different stuff that it you know and then it was like a fraternity house behind closed doors even even with him where i think we had the most hope that we've had during this whole nightmare stretch with kiffin even then it was he was just young and brash and it was kind of a clown show behind closed doors and i mean just to see a guy be level-headed and go out and I look at him in a game situation. I go like, I think this guy knows what he's doing. I actually do. I don't know when the last time was that I thought that about Tennessee football coach where I went, yeah, I trust what this guy is actually going to do out here. And it's unbelievable. And obviously this will all bear itself out. It's still really early. We're six games in and, and I, I'm, this is a huge measuring stick as much as it is for Kiffin. I think it is for Heifel too, to kind of truly meet the hype. It's nice to beat the crap out of South Carolina and Missouri, but it's South Carolina and Missouri. Let's let's be honest. That's it's, and, and that was kind of why I get kind of resentful when the the narrative has turned with like national guys where yeah. they're like, well, t- Tennessee and, and Missouri and South Carolina are all basically the same program. No, they're not. They're not. They're not the same program. Because like, just look, Tennessee had the most transfers at any school in, in America. And we beat the snot out of those two schools. Like it's just not the same, like resource wise, fan base wise, South Carolina ain't bringing 103,000 fans into a football stadium every week. Like Tennessee can needs to get back to doing. Um, and you know, there's just some stuff like that where if you can get a guy in this program who can bring legitimate competence I, it's a sleeping monster and, and hopefully that bears itself out. And I think this, I look at this game, if he wins this game, this will be the game that we look back on and Heifel's career and be like, that was the beginning of the thing. Like this, this would be the, the kickoff to 
what whatever good stuff Heifel does. I, I just I have a hard time believing that things would just fly downhill if you beat Ole Miss in this game. Like how I don't well I don't know that's a lot of projection, but it just it would be the most confidence that Tennessee has had with a head coach since early Fulmer, and that it's crazy to say that. I hope it happens. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know, man. There, there's a lot to unpack there if if you can't tell. Oh, for sure. For sure. I think that's how all Miss people felt when Kiffin came in because Matt Luke, nice man, but wasn't necessarily competent. And then like when Kiffin came in, you could tell early on, like, okay, the results may not always be great in this first year, but they're exciting. And this guy knows what the hell he's doing. And kind of similar to what you're talking about this game is a lot of like, things went terribly for freeze afterwards, but there were a million factors at play. That 2012 Egg Bowl where State, I think, was ranked in the top 25, Ole Miss wasn't as good and kind of blew the doors off. And that was the beginning, you had the Tunsil and Treadwell and all those dudes in the back of the locker room where Freeze makes that very calculated speech. Like that, 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 there seems to be some parallels to that kind of night that you're getting at. But yeah, competence can go a long way. Uh, dude, I appreciate the time. I kept you way longer than I thought. He is Charlie Burris. Check him out. Uh, A to Z sports uh, post game show with Compton. I did not know that. That's kind of awesome. I'll have to check that out. But uh, I appreciate yeah. the time as always, my friend. And uh, we'll have to chat again soon. Absolutely. This was a blast. Thanks for having me on. And that's our show. Really appreciate Charlie's time. Hopefully you got a better idea of what uh, Ole Miss is going up against this weekend, and which should be a pretty uh, pretty interesting matchup in a hostile environment. Sell out. They're doing the whole checker kneeling deal. Uh, so Tennessee, a uh, big game for them, and uh, Ole Miss will certainly be uh, in for a dogfight. It is a classic kind of Saturday night, late October or mid-October game in the Southeastern Conference. I'm looking forward to it. That's our show today. we back on uh, Friday. we got Greg's picks. I'll probably do a, some sort of open on uh, a lot of stuff that has transpired this week. Uh, probably somewhat Ole Miss-related, somewhat uh, not Ole Miss-related, maybe some media stuff uh, there as well. But uh, kind of back to our normal, more normal schedule on Friday. So be on the lookout for that. Appreciate you guys working with me in kind of a uh, kind of a time crunch this week for the uh, old midweek show. And then Weldon and I will be back on Sunday. Anyway, appreciate you guys as always. Thanks for listening. Always enjoy the feedback from people. Uh, like and subscribe, rate and review. I think I'm required to say that as a podcast host or something like that. But uh, we'll catch you on Friday. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.